Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. There's something about this weather that makes me want to go uh, camping. Anybody else? You think, like, I just want to get out in the outdoors. And that's a good idea until you get out in the outdoors. And then it's like, oh, it's not as fun. I, the last time I went camping, actually, I was a teenager. I was uh, probably 16, 17, something like that. And we were cleaning out the garage, and we found this, uh, what we call a pup tent, like just this little like tent, you know? And, uh, and I'm not an outdoorsy person, not really experienced at that. My family didn't do a lot of that growing up. But my sister and one of my brothers, I'm the oldest of five, and so the three of us decided, we're gonna camp tonight. That's what we decided. We're, just, we're gonna camp tonight. And so my dad said that was not a good idea, but we didn't listen to him. You know, what does he know? And so we got that tent, and we had about 10 acres uh, there uh, where we were living at the time, but everybody around us had a lot of acreage too, and it was real wooded, real thick, you know? And so we went out, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes out into the woods there and found us a little clearing and set up that tent, and then we came back a little later and we were going to camp that night right and so just the three of us totally unexperienced outdoorsmen and girl and we were going to you know uh, rough it a little bit there and everything was going fine I mean you just get in the tent and go to sleep right and that's that's what we did until it started raining and it was raining this was back before cell phones and stuff we just had to guess that weather and so it's just like Arkansas weather right now you know and so we were guessing and we didn't know it was going to rain and uh, it starts raining, and it turns out that little tent was not waterproof at all, you know. And it was cold. It was very, very cold. I remember it being just frigid cold. And at one point in the middle of the night, it's probably, I don't know, one o'clock or two, uh, the tent fell, all right? And it was not, uh, so it was just a bad night all the way around. And I laid there. I don't know if this has ever happened to you in various settings. I have this wet, cold tent on my face. It's just like that, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if I could just go to sleep, if I could just fall asleep, I will wake up to the glorious sunlight, right? The warmth of the day. I can just make it through. If I could just sleep through this horrible thing, then I will make it through. That didn't, that didn't work. It didn't last. After a little while, we decided to just go ahead and uh, hike back to the house. And so we, we made it all the way back to the house. My brother went in his room. My sister went into her room. I decided to just just, uh, you know, pass out right there in the middle of the living room. And I did. I didn't take my boots off or anything. I just laid down there in the middle of the, the ground there and uh, slept. I woke up to the warmth of my father standing there grinning with a cup of coffee. Just looking at me like, I told you that was a bad idea, you know. I felt like just from his face that he really enjoyed how bad um, that went for us. And he was right. I can't remember ever a time where I felt so broken down, just in rubbles, I was tired, uh, the tent itself was in disrepair, even the beauty of our uh, land there, the beauty of nature seemed to turn against us while it was cold and dark and heartless. All of that seemed to crash down on us. And this final little piece of Amos, we anticipate a day in which the nation will be broken down similarly. It'll all fall and be in disrepair. It'll even seem as though nature has crumbled. But it's not as hopeless as my tent camping story. In fact, the story ends with a little warmth, 
warmth in the cold, light in the darkness. And as it turns out, Amos chapter 9 is talking to us. Amos is actually talking to you, and it's talking to me. Let's read this little bit here at the end. It's Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. This is what the Word of God says. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seeds. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land. And they will never again be uprooted from the land that I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. Let's pray together and then we'll sort of unpack this and apply it to our lives. God, thank you so much for the weather. Thank you for family. Thank you for church. God, thank you for this morning as we set aside time to come together and to make much of you here in our community in a way that would hopefully be for the good of others and for your glory. God, as we read this text, may we have open minds and open hearts to change where we do not meet your standard. And God, may we anticipate a day in which all will be restored, rebuilt, and regathered. God, thank you for the church again. Thank you for what you have gifted to us through the church. May we leave here today with a new appreciation of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So the focus today, if you were going to focus in on one verse, the focus today is going to be uh, verse 11. Let me read that to you again. It says, In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. In that day is a phrase that is often repeated throughout the prophecy literature in the Old Testament and here in Amos. In fact, it's said quite a few times in chapter 8. We're in chapter 9. In chapter 8, it's said quite a few times. But here's the key to it. Here's the interesting aspect of it. In that day is almost always used in a negative light. In that day usually means something bad is about to happen after. In fact, every time it's used in Amos up to this verse, it is used in that phrase. This would be similar to like if your dad said something like, um, smart off one more time. You know, something like that. You know, like uh, my dad used to say, you can walk over here, but you're going to limp back, right? That's the kind of phrase. Um, that's the kind of phrase that God is saying here. In that day, don't make me come over there. On that day, God says, and this is important because Amos is a negative book, all right? Amos generally has a negative connotation. And we don't like to read negative things. We don't like when the truth really hits us between the eyes. We don't like it when uh, we are confronted with our own sin. And yet that is sort of the idea going on in Amos. Amos doesn't have a lot of flowery words. Not a lot of uplifting text. Not a lot of verses in there that you're going to put on your Instagram or something like that. A lot of this is just really in that day you are going to face the consequences for what you have done. The theme of Amos, if you could sum it up in, in, in a short way, is pretty simple. It says this, You claim to follow Yahweh, but yet you treat other people like you don't follow Yahweh. You claim to follow God, and yet you treat God's people poorly. 
What you say and what you do are inconsistent. And God is saying, so in that day, I'm going to come and you will be punished for this. It will happen. At this point, we should uh, maybe ask ourselves, we should ask ourselves the questions whether or not we are living in a way that is consistent with what we say we believe. We know that God cares for the poor, and so do you care for the poor? We say that God is worthy of worship, so is everything in your life, your finances, your time, your stewardship, your home, worshiping God. Is God the most important thing in your life? Like you say that he is. Is church something that you cancel other plans for or just something you do if you do not have other plans? God consistently expects that you would be consistent in the way that you live out your faith. That's what the story of Amos is. And so it is shocking. It's jarring. If you're reading through Amos that here at the very last bit, he says in that day, and yet he says that, differently he says that not negatively at all in fact look at it again it says in that day i will restore the fallen shelter of david i will repair its gaps restore its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old this is not negative it's positive it's hopeful it's encouraging this is one of those themes about god that i really like pointing out in the scriptures one of those themes that I really like studying, God is an R-E God, all right? Um, or maybe you could say a re-God or a re-ing God, all right? All of them are corny, all of them are lame, but let's just go with R-E this morning, okay? God is an R-E God. He restores, repairs, rebuilds, redeems, rescues. He, he, um, he regathers and, and, and all these different re-words. God is all about working in the mess and bringing it back. But don't miss this. In this last couple of verses, God says, I will do this. I will repair. I will build. The destruction, the brokenness is all on them. They messed up. This is their fault. But God is the one who's going to step in and repair about a month ago, I, I came home and Jackie says to me, she says, you need to go up, you need to go up and fix Amos's blinds. Amos is our third son. You need to fix his blinds in his room, all right? And so I'm thinking I'm going to walk up the stairs and like the, I don't know, like the cords are tangled or something like that, you know, or, or like some of them are pointing up and some of them are pointing down, you know, something like that. It's those two inch blinds, you know? And I walk upstairs and it looked like something exploded through his window. There are, there's this, they're, um, they're like five foot, his window is like five foot, five, six feet like that, those two inch blinds. And they are all over the ground. And I was like, what happened? What did you do? He swears he just tried to pull them up. That was all he did, you know. And, and uh, I said, you just, pull, you're nine and you ripped these things off the wall? There's like three of them, you know. But there was this idea that like Jackie didn't, she didn't explode. She, didn't, she was just like, when dad gets, dad'll fix it. You know, that's, that's what he does. Dad'll fix it. Not too much later, I needed to go up and fix Amos's door. All right, just fix Amos's door. It was off the hinges. I'm like, what are you doing up here? You know, he said, I just tried to shut it. I just tried to shut it. His other brother was chasing him. He tried to shut it. And somehow that came off the door, you know, something or off the hinges like that. So now whenever I get home and Jackie says, you need to go look at something, I go straight to the garage and grab a drill and I grab some uh, hammer and stuff like that. Then I go look at whatever it is, right? Because when dad gets home, dad will fix it. Dad will fix it. God is saying, in that day, I will fix it. I'll make it right. It's not like God walks in and goes, what did you do? Because God fully knows what we did. He just walks in and he says, I will repair. Dad fixes it. What he says he will do 
are all of these rewords, this building back. It's the idea of capturing what has been lost to make things not only good as new, but better than new, stronger, better, uh, bigger, all of that than before. In the text, there are two targets. Don't miss this because it's kind of confusing. There are two targets of God's redemptive restoration work. The first target is that tent of David. It says, in that day, I will repair the tent of David. It's kind of, it's, what is a tent of David? Like, uh, biblical scholars will tell you there was no actual tent that was known as David's tent, all right? So it's symbolic. The language there is symbolic. And what the symbolism of the tent could mean is various, all right? There's just a ton of ideas behind what the tent could mean. Maybe it's the tabernacle, maybe it's the kingdom, maybe it's even the temple, maybe it's the city or the nation. There's all sorts of ideas there. The tent part we're not real sure about, but the David part we are completely aware of, right? So the second king of Israel, the greatest king, the one who united all the tribes, the one who made them strong, the one who sat on his throne, the one who God made promises to. So very clearly, whatever God is going to restore, whatever God is going to move back into and make better than new had something to do with this uh, monarchy, this throne, this, this leader of the people. The second target has to do with the land and its abundance. If you look at verse 13 specifically, it says, Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seeds. The mountains will drip with sweet wine, and all the hills will flow with it. So the idea is very simple. Like, like you know, you, 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 um, when, you're, when you're farming, right? There's a time in which you, when you plow up the ground and, and, and you plant seed, and then there's a time in which you harvest that seed. What God is saying here is that in that day, I will make it better than new that they will not even be done harvesting. It'll take so long to harvest that it's going to be time to plow so much crops that the, that the grapes will overflow, so much juice from the grapes that they will overflow the hills. The, the hills will flow with it. It's this idea that God is going to redeem the land. So what does all this mean? What is God going to do? Well, it's pretty simple. God is going to bring about or bring about a people, his people, and they will have a king that will provide for them provisions and protection. And as a people, they will flourish. Their lives will be good. They will overflow with goodness. It takes work like farming and vine dressing, but it will be a fruitful work. God's people will be gathered together and he is going to rebuild them, restore them, and repair the relationship between the creator and creation and it will be a glorious day. It is a day to hope for. In a book in which there's so much negative, in a book in which God is going to be on that day, he says, I will fix it. And both of these things, David and the land, carry with it promises. And this is really important that we don't forget this. So like when you're reading through the Old Testament, you want to always remember the promises that God made. And there's some big ones, right? There's a Demic promise, and there's an Abrahamic promise, and then Noitic, and then the Davidic. These promises are specific. So the first one with David's throne, the idea is that God says to David, I will always have one of your descendants on the throne that there will be a king from the line of David. So that's one promise that God is reminding them of here. The second promise is the one to Abraham or the Abrahamic promise, meaning that they will have this land and it will flourish. This land will be good to you. This land will be great, the promise that he makes to Abraham. In other words, God is promising to keep his promises. 
God walks into a mess. He says, I will fix this and I will keep my promises. What we have at this point is sort of a summary of all of Amos. God is going to punish his people who have behaved like they were not his people and yet they are still his people. So he's going to keep his promises to his people. And all that's great and easy to understand and and it is encouraging. And in some part, that is exactly what happens in the Old Testament. The people continue to rebel and the northern part of the kingdom falls to the Assyrians. The southern part of the kingdom falls to the Babylonians. They are exiled over to Babylon and, and the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah lay in ruins. And then one day they are freed and they come back. They rebuild and they restore and God blesses them. They rebuild the temple. This is exactly what God promised he would do. That is exactly what happens. And yet there's this other aspect of the text. There's this other part of the story which these words send the thoughts all the way through the prophet hurling through time and space and end up landing right here. Right here on our steps, right here at your feet. It's that phrase in verse 12. The phrase says that the nations that bear my name that's an important phrase zero in on that all the nations that bear my name it really stands out this book if you remember back amos chapter one and two y'all remember that that starts with all these poems about all of these nations and the point was there's all these nations that are living wrongly but they're not my people you are my people amos has this theme all throughout it that there is this one nation that is my nation, Yahweh's nation. One nation that is Yahweh's nation. And they are not living like they are Yahweh's nation. So I'm going to punish them. So then how does he get all the way to the end? And he says, all the nations that bear my name. Where's the other nations come from? It's emphatic in this book that there's only one nation that bears his name. And yet right there at the end in verse 12, it says, all the nations that bear my name. They are his people. The whole idea is that there's only one people. Thankfully, later, the Bible actually, later on in the Bible, quotes that verse. And through the quoting of that verse, it shows us what it means. It explains what it means. It's in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 13 through 17. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm going to read some of it to you. Here's the story. After Jesus ascends, the gospel message, the good news, that is people are broken and they're far from God, and yet if they will trust and believe in Jesus, they will be redeemed, restored, adopted, all that kind of language. That message begins to get out, all right? And it gets out in a very big way. A lot of Jewish people, that one nation, the people who bear his name, a lot of those people start to come to faith, what we call become Christians, right? But something completely unexpected happens a bunch of non-Jewish people start to come to faith. A lot of people like us, a lot of us that are not Jews, they start to come to faith. And this really was crazy. It It was a weird idea for a lot of the people in the early church. They were skipping a step, right? Because God revealed to the Jews and then the Jews became Christians. You can't just become a Christian. You gotta be a Jew first. In fact, a lot of them thought in order to be a good Christian, you had to be a good Jew first. And so they started expecting people to obey the Jewish religious laws, circumcision, food laws, dress codes, habits, seasons, and and feasts, all this sort of stuff. They wanted the non-Jews to become good Jews, and then they would become good Christians. And by the way, this still happens all of the time today. Not the Jewish part, but there are people who constantly are putting extra burdens on people to carry what you should and shouldn't wear 
what you are allowed to drink and not drink, what you can watch on TV, which English Bible you must use, what your music should sound like in the church or in your truck. All of these things that the Bible does not put on us, people are constantly saying, you have to meet this standard before you can be a good Christian. So all the leaders got together, the leaders of the early church. It's a huge deal when you think about it. It's like if you ever go to like a conference and like all the big wigs of your of your uh, uh, what do you call your industry are there. That's what happens here in Acts chapter fifteen. Paul is there and he speaks for a little while, and then Peter stands up and he shares a story about actually sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people and how they came to faith. And then James stands up, who's the half brother of Jesus, and then he is also the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And in verse thirteen, he says this: After they stop speaking, James responds, "Brothers, listen to me." Simeon, that's the name he calls Peter. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. From the non-Jews, a people for his name. And the words of the prophet agree with this. As it is written, this is what James says. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by his name declares the Lord who makes these things happen. James is quoting Amos. And when he does it, he is saying that God has made or is keeping a promise through Amos that is fulfilled in their day. That these people who are coming from all the different nations that are calling on the name of Jesus, it's Jesus' name that they bear. That they are a new people. So what this means is that the promise that God made through Amos, that he would rebuild, restore, repair a people, that they would have a king and that they would flourish, is the church. It's not so much Israel. It was at a point, but now it's the church, these people that are coming back, that Jesus is the king and that we have access to this life that is flourishing as we walk with God now, that these promises are something that we live Amos already said it in chapter 5, verse 14. He told us to pursue good and not evil so that you may live, truly live. And the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gates. It's the exact same message applied to all people, applied to us. Those who submit to the King Jesus are part of a people that God is establishing to rebuild humanity, restore people, and repair relationships. And you are invited into that work. So two big thoughts before uh, we close up this morning. Two big thoughts. The first one is this. God's punishment of you does not negate God's promises to you. God's punishment of you does not negate God's promises to you. You ever end up in a bad space where you feel like God has abandoned you? Like things are going bad in your life. Maybe it's medical things or financial things or relational things. Something's happening in your life and you don't like it. But you know flat well it's, it's the result. It's the result of your bad choices or living a life apart from God. We will go through these hard seasons and think that he is far from us, like he doesn't care or that he has stopped caring or that he has dropped us and walked away like so many other people have done in our lives like family members or friends who have just walked away from us. We feel like the consequences of our own actions sometimes are signs that God no longer cares. But this isn't true. God punishes his people. God disciplines his children. But he does not abandon his children. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son that he delights in. So do not feel that way. 
When you feel that way, take note. Tell yourself this. God doesn't walk away. God doesn't abandon. He doesn't disappear. He is here, and the fact that you are experiencing the consequences of your sin could very well prove that you are his child. Listen, when you uh, mess up, when you fail, when you sin, when you rebel, those sort of things, and you are convicted of that sin, take hope or at least encouragement in this, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, convicts God's children. The conviction is a sign that you are His child, not that He has abandoned you. The conviction is a good thing. Lean into the conviction. Walk away from the sin and lean back into that relationship. That conviction on our hearts by the Holy Spirit is actually a sign that says, you are mine. I love you. I don't want you to mess up. So hear me on this. God's punishment of you does not negate God's promises. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. And the second thing is, your mess up doesn't mess up the mission of God. It's crazy to me that God can get anything done, right? For whatever reason, God has chosen to work through humanity to bring about what it is that he wants to do. He has chosen largely to work through his people, the church, to bring about peace in this world and to share the good news with others. And we are always messing things up. On a personal level, I will tell you this, that I am always letting my loud mouth get in the way of, of what God has called me to do. I mistreat others and who, who do nothing wrong. I act in my own insecurities. I am a broken down and tore up from the floor up mess. And somehow God is still working through me, working through us, working through the church. And if you are like that, you can begin to think that God can't use you, that you are beyond saving, only good to be thrown away. But you have to know that God is an R.E. God. God restores, he rebuilds, he repairs, he renovates, he remodels, he redeems, he recreates. It is what he does, and he likes doing it, and he is good at it. 1 Peter 5.10 says, Now the God of all grace, who called you by his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will proudly restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. Listen, the very reality that God is an R.E. God means that there was a mess there before. Don't believe the lie that you have had to have a perfect past, a completely clean record for God to work in and through you. That is not what he does. He is an R.E. God. He redeems and he restores the broken. He rebuilds that which has been pushed down and, and thrown aside. He delights in rebuilding what Sin, this world, evil people, and your own dumb have caused. My oldest son is right at that age where he's going to uh, start driving here pretty soon. And so uh, my wife and I are against him learning to drive in our cars, all right? Because we like our cars. And so we don't want him to drive. So we went and picked up a, a cash truck for him, right? And so we have this little truck and um, the, the guy before it had done some modifications, all right? He's a, it was a teenager who had this little cash truck, right? And had done some modifications, really cool things like lights that change colors on the inside and, and um, this touch screen that does everything but play music and um, this subwoofer in the back that's like, that's the only thing you ever wanted to carry in anything, right? I'm just 
take up the entire trunk space. We're just going to put a giant subwoofer back there, which as a mom and a dad, that's not really a priority in our lives, you know, for him. So the last uh, week or so, the last weekend, he and I have been out in the garage cleaning things. You know, we, we take pieces out. You ever taken out the center console of your vehicle and, and seen how gross you are, you know? Well, we took that out and saw how gross this other kid was, you know, and we've cleaned all that out, vacuumed it out. We've changed the, the radio back to stock, all that kind of stuff. It's fun. It's a little dad and son project, basic wiring, basic mechanic type of stuff. I let him, you know, screw this in, take this bowl. This is why we disconnect that wire first, right? You know, it hurts if you don't, those sort of things. It's fun. It's it's different, right? It's not our vehicle. It's not clean and new and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's broken. It's scratched up. There's pieces that are literally super glued onto this truck, right? And we're looking at this. We've got to take that apart, pull apart that glue, you know, and put it back the right way. So there's this whole project between me and my son that is, is formational. Here's the beauty about it. I hope that that truck is safe. It is. I hope that it'll last a while, and it does, right? I hope that he has pride in what he drives because he helped make it right. But here's the coolest thing about all of it. This last week and this last weekend, I was building, rebuilding a man. I'm taking a boy and making him a man. The truck is just what we're working on, but he is what I am building. God is doing the exact same thing in your life. You got all this junk that you have messed up, all this stuff that other people have messed up, maybe like a bad parent or a bad spouse, maybe a horrible work situation, something that has scarred you and hurt you, left a mess, left ruins, the walls are knocked down, the fences are broken. Your heart is vulnerable and you're trying in your best effort to take the stones and build some sort of protection around your heart so that you don't get hurt again. And God has promised to step into that space, to work in that space. The career that you have, the family that you have, the life that you have, the church that you are a part of. Those are great things to be in and to work on. But God is working on you. You are the object. You are the point. You are the one who bears his name. And you are the one that he loves. Don't ever forget that. Your mess up doesn't mess him up. His punishment doesn't negate his promises. He loves you. He really does. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.